Welcome back to yet another somewhat emergency edition of the Shamrock. I'm Pete Sampson, joined again by Matt Fortuna. Matt, I, I feel like we just talked last night. Uh, is it? No, it was this morning. It was this morning. Okay. Is there anything new with you or what, what, what's happening? It was this morning and we're talking earlier tonight than we have been on previous nights, which means like, shoot, like I may be able to watch like a TV show before I fall asleep tonight. If all hell doesn't break loose. Um, yeah, it was. I mean, I think when we last joined you, dear listeners, 12 hours ago, um, <laughs> we had a feeling that there could be some resolution today. Um, it's at the one yard line as far as head coach resolution, which was largely predicated um, on Tommy Reese opting in to be the offense coordinator again for the Marcus Freeman regime. And he did it. He did it in a way that um, I'm sure everyone saw the, the video. Um, and as someone who was in that room called me up right after and said, so what'd you think of that video after the one that, uh, oh my <laughs> one that God. went around this morning for was, Brian Kelly's like address? The, the players reacting in some way, shape or form was definitely a contrast to Brian Kelly's it, well, it, appearance and even, in that same room that I tweeted this, like that's a Tommy Reese that like the guys who really knew him at Notre Dame and the guys who really know him that play for him. Yeah. Like. He, you know, when you're the quarterback in Notre Dame and when you went through hell the way he did as a player, um, and when you're a, you know, 30 year old and 18 year old's body as he essentially was as a player, um, you get to be very media savvy. You get to be very like coach speak and cliche filled and, you know, just try not to, you know, toe the company line, right? Like don't draw any more attention to yourself than you should. And, And I always appreciated that, you know, as a reporter covering him when he was a player, you know, the guy showed up to every press conference, answered every question, was nothing but professional. Um, even if he was a little bland at times, like you knew, and you know, we, you know, we know the guys that he lived with, like we know there was a lot more dog and Tommy than than you know what he let the public see. Oh, yeah. And I, I think the quarterbacks he coaches and has coached the last four or five years here at Notre Dame absolutely know that. Um, it's not a coincidence that there was a lot of um, you know, support online tonight from his players, you know, hashtag pay Tommy Reese. Um, <laughs> like he's a player's coach, but you know, that that's a, that's a label that gets thrown around a lot and it can be interpreted a number of different ways. Like he is a Royal hard ass, but he's been there in their shoes and they know he knows what's best for them. And he knows that um, he cares for them and he's not going to take any crap from them. And you know, I just thought, you know, that speech tonight, you know, maybe some of you are pissed about this, like great line, like just, you know, as far as like bringing levity to the moment, um, saying I'm not going to take any questions, which I couldn't help but read as, you know, a bit of a, a shot at Brian <laughs> Kelly from yesterday, um, you know, saying ble- I'm here. as if it's not already clear that it's the dawn of a new era at Notre Dame. How many videos have we seen on Notre Dame platforms? where there have been beeped out curses. Beeped out profanity, right? I mean, Matt Bayless yesterday, Tommy Reese tonight, um, the icon. Iron of Myron, yeah. I mean, it was, and it's fun. It's raw. It's real. Like, I, we all remember the Showtime show in 2015, right? Like, it was, it was a good show. Don't get me wrong. But it was, to say it was heavily sanitized would be an understatement. And I, I mean, remember. Parking was too, the, the issue oh, of yeah. campus parking was too <laughs> controversial. To make I, I mean, I, I remember when Michigan did their Amazon Prime <laughs> series two years later. And I remember some ND folks asked me what I thought of it. I said, you know, it, it wasn't in season, so it wasn't as timely, but it was a better product because 
they were in the locker room. Don Brown was MFing these guys, you know, raw as can be the way you would expect a, you know, defensive coordinator and a college football coach to be. And it was kind of like, yeah, we, we just, we couldn't do that with Showtime or, or Showtime couldn't do that with Notre Dame, whichever, you know, whoever was blamed for that. Like this is, <laughs> it's definitely as if it wasn't already clear enough that this was going to be different um, with a very young and new coaching regime. Um, that point has just been driven home again and again. Um, and most recently through that video with Tommy Reese tonight. Look, I, I'm curious about how you feel about this with head coach Marcus Freeman in theory, offense coordinator Tommy Reese, definitely. The fact that Notre Dame is a cool program, so college football, like 35 year old head coach, sharp, like cool, well dressed guy with Reese as his OC, who is like got kind of some college Sean McVay and college vibes to him. Um, forget like the Vandy camps fisherman vibe that he had working in most of November. Thank <laughs> God it's December when he showed up in that video and shaved that beard. It's ridiculous. Um, but like the prospect of, of Notre Dame as a program that's at the cool kids table is not something that I have experienced covering Notre Dame in 21 years, short of the second half of the 2012 season. That's it. That's the only time I've looked at Notre Dame and thought like, this place is kind of cool. Um, and now you've got crazy train didn't do it for you. No, you know, okay. it, it really didn't. Um, <laughs> and I, you know, there's a reason that earlier tonight I tweeted out this quote from Marcus Freeman when he came on this very podcast right. and talked about how you communicate to kids, you, you get to their level and figure out how to speak their language. And, I'll, I'll just read the second paragraph is he said, sometimes I use a rapper. If I'm talking to a kid, it's, Hey, who's your favorite rapper? They say somebody like young Dirk, little Nas, whatever. Listen, you got to think like Jay-Z. Jay-Z just sold title for a million dollars. And this is what Notre Dame does for you. You can look at all those other schools, but Notre Dame is just like Jay-Z. And to be able to tell a kid, Oh, that makes sense. You're talking big picture. I'm just, I'm just telling you, it's an unbelievable alum, like network, an alumni network. I'm just telling you the four for 40, but I'm saying it in a way that you can say, oh, I get it. I get it. It's, this is not just football. You're setting yourself up for generational success. Like you and I were both on that podcast when Marcus said that. And like, I was like, holy shit. Like yeah. this guy as a communicator is freaking elite. Um, and if Notre Dame gets out on the recruiting trail like that, if the head coach who has that sort of mission statement, that that's taking this place to a whole different level. I mean, Marcus Freeman is never going to get up and tell you about distinctions and how Notre Dame can't get into the top five and how there are limits on their success. And me down a different aisle. I mean, good grief. Um, he's not, I, you know, I hope that he will not mention RKGs or traits <laughs> or that all any of that stuff. Whenever we get to talk to him as Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman, assuming like everything goes through, but like just the idea to me that like Notre Dame has some cool element to it is is kind of mind blowing because this place has not been cool in a very very long time. 
Yes. I mean, the combined ages of their head coach and offense coordinator right now are 64. Their last head coach was 60. Um, I said this to you. I said this to a couple people I spoke with tonight. This is the vibe I'm getting. Um, I believe it to be accurate. Of course, when the ball's kicked off, who knows what it'll look like. I have never seen, or at least I can't remember, a program where as far as just a general rooting standpoint, I'm not talking about like the Notre Dame fan that lives and dies with every play and that subscribes to the Shamrock and is is uh, as insightful as me. But you we are. love you too. But we love we, you too, yes. Shamrock subscribers. They, they already know, so this isn't for them. Um, <laughs> I can't remember like a, a sports team or brand that went from. You know, I think you said what cool. I, I would say, you know, from so I mean, hateable. Let's face it; like everyone hates Notre Dame, right? Yeah. Unless they went there. Yeah, yeah. To so likable, like so many people I know who could care less about Notre Dame were tweeting about that video and text me about that video from time to recent night saying like, Holy crap, like let's go. Like I'm ready to run for a wall. Like so many people. And you know, we, we, we've beat it to death already. Brian Kelly was never the warmest or cuddliest guy. And you know, he wasn't for everybody. And that was not going to change no matter how much he won or lost. Um, they just became such a, yeah, likable, um, cool, team now look there's a lot of risk in this we we have not gotten to yes. like the actual like on-field product of this this is a tremendous risk by notre dame it is which like, like okay so I, I would stop you like any coach they hired was going to be a tremendous risk um luke fickle tremendous risk matt campbell tremendous risk i i like i would disagree but the, on, but the risks are different i would disagree on fickle but to me like campbell the maybe. risks would be different the no, risk well, with fickle are like you loot, you lost some of your recruiting class. Foskey and Patterson left. That you have to re, you have to restart the culture. It's like it's it would be a different risk, but it would be a risk. And but I, but I agree with you that Freeman is a risk. I just think the risk is different. Like the risk with Freeman is you know clearly first time head coach. That is a lot to figure out. I, I get all that, but. I also think you have to like we're professional skeptics, right? I think you have to. What's the worst case scenario? To me, the worst case scenario with Freeman is that it doesn't work out, but you leave the next coach with a loaded roster because he's going to recruit his ass off. Um, to me, that's the worst case scenario. So that's if that's your worst case scenario in your Notre Dame, I think that you feel pretty good about that, um, which is different than saying it's not a risk because it is. I, you know, I don't know if I'd say that. It's hard to like map out a worst case scenario. I think this past week in the sport has like reset the bar yeah, for like a lot of what we fair know. Point. But in the scenario you presented, I, even if you leave, if you get fired with a loaded roster, guess what? That roster is all going to the portal and going to another school yeah, tomorrow. Good point. So I, I don't fair know point. if that situation applies. I do think, I mean, we sat here on January 9th or whatever it was with Justin Williams when Freeman got hired. So that's what 11 months ago, less than 11 months ago, um, got hired as Notre Dame's DC. And I remember you asking Justin a question along the lines of, is there any way this doesn't work? Right. Yeah. I'm not right. sure we ever could have imagined like, <laughs> no, it works so freaking well. The guy's <laughs> taking over maybe a playoff team. Maybe he'll be the head coach with the national championship this year. I don't know. That's another part. If these guys get in, these guys get in, they're going to be the best story in sports. and Everyone's going to be pulling for them. Whoever thought you could compare Marcus Freeman and Steve Fisher? 
Oh, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I'm Michigan. serious. Michigan. No, I know, I know. Yeah, it's it's bizarre to me. Like uh, one. M- Michigan plays San Diego State this week in men's basketball. By the way, the Steve Fisher Bowl. Good <laughs> good it. timing on that analogy. I mean, yeah, the idea that Notre Dame is is one cool moving forward, but likable nationally now, maybe more like the likable now may be more mind blowing than the cool moving forward. Um, because yeah. like this is Notre Dame is the, the school you love to hate unless you're listening to this podcast. Um, that's all, that's all turned around. Um, the notion that Gary Barta stodgy old white guy is like Notre Dame can't make the playoff or shouldn't make the playoff because their head coach lost, despite the fact that their head coach was blown out in the playoff twice. And, got slaughtered in the BCS national championship game. Like who's to say Brian Kelly is a positive in that scenario. Um, that all, that all is bizarre to me. It's hard to wrap your head around that the world that we're living in right now with Notre Dame and perception. Here's the thing. And I, I you know, the, the college football playoff is just like the worst run PR operation in the history of PR, uh, not breaking any news here. Um, I don't put too much stock into what they say every week because they just, you know, stumble over themselves. And ultimately, all that matters is whatever happens Sunday. Um, if that's real, like, let's really step back and analyze this. And I don't think there's an accurate way to do it, but me and you have a finger on the pulse of the program. Let's say it comes down to, uh, yeah, two loss Alabama versus 11 and one Notre Dame Sunday morning. And, yeah, I'm, don't know how Bama would have looked against Georgia. I don't know that there are a million factors to consider. If you're going to weigh this team just lost its head coach into the equation, and if you're going to seriously do some digging into that, and again, this is a completely subjective argument, so I don't know why you even enter that into the lexicon when you speak publicly, but you did. I don't see how this isn't an enormous positive for Notre Dame. And that's not to rag on Brian Kelly now that he's gone. But you talk about a team that has its head coach who they know is really pissed off and really motivated to go out there and like just play with their hair on fire. Like, okay, you're going to take into account we don't have our head coach? Good. We're, we're better. We're a better football team right now. At least we will be in the next two weeks with this yep. adrenaline rush. No, I'm with you. It's um, I don't know if that applies like, – if they ran into Georgia in the playoff, I'm not sure they would matter. Um, no, I mean, look, it's, it's like, let, let's get you a they quarter. Play, they play Michigan player. State in the Fiesta Bowl um, or Pittsburgh in the Peach Bowl. Like, Notre Dame is going to come out as motivated, as locked in as they ever were under Brian Kelly. And I think that the, maybe even more so because they're going to want to prove a point for their new head coach and their offensive coordinator who took a chance to come back here. Um, I, you know, I, I'm, I don't know if we've talked about this on a previous podcast, but like if you ranked, I mean, we may have talked about it on a previous podcast this morning, but if you ranked the coaches that like Notre Dame players would run through a wall for Freeman would be one Reese would be two. Like Elston would be high on the list. Taylor would be high on the list. Like, these are the guys who are coming back. So it's um, you're getting the guys who have sort of an emotional equity built up with them in a way that Brian Kelly did not. And that 
that's not to say Brian Kelly was bad at that part of the job. It just, it was not something he's prioritized because he prioritized other things. Um, he's Notre Dame's all time winningest head coach for a reason, but I think in 2021, you need your head coach to be the head coach of culture and the head coach of recruiting. And there is nobody on the staff that I think would be more equipped to do that than Marcus Freeman. Quick question, since you brought it up. And I realize this would be like the saltiest thing in the world, but I'd also kind of love it. You said Brian Kelly, winningest coach in program history. Do you think Notre the, Dame... That they're going to vacate those yes. wins? I mean, technically, he isn't, right? Like, can you see them not acknowledge... Oh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not even saying like... Um, we're going to pump up uh, Newt Rockney as a winningest coach in program history. Like we're just not going to say Brian Kelly is anymore. Not no, by the way, acknowledge it. Here, here's this year's media guide where Brian Kelly is, you know, 91 or 89 wins instead of 110 yes. or whatever it is right now. Put reverse the asterisk to the lower yeah. number that to the higher from the higher number. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I could see it. I could absolutely see it. I, mean, I could see all these, it, but, all the, but like all these schools always do this, right? Like they, they had a in their old media room in the stadium, they had uh, yearbook photos of every national championship team in school history, and they had one up for 1993. They did not win the national championship in 1993. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like it's it's yeah. so. Uh, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. I mean, let if we want to have some fun with this. That uh, yeah, that would be. Bye but, bye. But, but, uh, your kids who. Um, my wife wondered if we're taking our jobs tonight to do the clover after uh, everything we, after we were overworked. Um, One, they, they're, they are asleep. They also came down earlier and asked like, dad, how much longer is this going on? <laughs> mine asked me to take her to an, so another friggin' done with this. Mine, uh, mine asked me tonight, uh, since she had so much fun at Wrigley, uh, can I go to another football game with you? I want to bring my book and work just like you. And I thought, <laughs> kiddo if you're getting as little sleep as i am right now i'm gonna rip out whatever remaining hairs i have left in my head um because that ain't gonna be a good situation oh god yeah Um, it goes back to my son's kindergarten uh school photo when he wore he wanted to wear a blazer to school and then he was like dad dad i need a credential if you wear a blazer you have to have a credential so i gave him an old notre dame media credential because i always wear a blazer and a credential uh and he wore it to school and got his photo taken (laughs) Mine, the last Notre Dame game, I guess it would have been, was it USC? Whatever, the last Notre Dame home game I was at, I dropped my credential on the, just, you know, on a table in the living room, but it has my picture on it. And uh, next day, my kid sees it, sees my face on it, says, Daddy, 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 you need this for work. You need this for work. And she comes, she puts it on my neck and goes, now you can go do your podcast, which I, <laughs> she's two. I don't know how she even knows what a podcast is, but that's the sick life. Uh, we always we always feel bad for coaches' kids because they never see their 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 moms or their or their dads. Um, yeah, it's, it's not much better for sports writers' kids. Let me tell you that. No, but your right your kids your kids will always say we sat fourth row midfield for the last Brian Kelly game in Notre Dame Stadium. Oh Save yeah, that ticket stub. They also uh, sat in those same seats for Brian Van Gorder's last game as Notre Dame's defensive coordinator. <laughs> a lot a lot has happened in those seats. The other game they attended was Virginia Tech in 2019, where they left at halftime. I'm not sure what happened in the second half. What a game. What a, what a where were we? I, I, I'm sort of, what were we discussing? <laughs> let, let me go to, the, oh, here's one. Can, can we share um, 
the call you got today about how we need a correction to our story? Oh, yes. Um, so by now, you know, that was okay. Thank you for jogging my memory that we did do a podcast this morning about this, <laughs> this thing. So I'm sure you've all read, uh, if you're listening to this podcast, our story about so the wild, tumultuous 24 hours within the Notre Dame football program. And just to be clear, I'm talking about the, the previous 24 <laughs> hours, not the current 24 hours, um, about Brian Kelly and his meeting with the Notre Dame team around a little after 7 o'clock on Tuesday morning. Jack Swarbrick introduced him. Uh, if you read the story today, you read everything Brian Kelly said. Uh, at the end of that long quote, we wrote that Brian Kelly turned to his right and walked out the door. Um, if you've been in the Google Auditorium, you know the, the those doors. They lead out to the lobby. There's a national championship trophy, and then there's double doors out, boom, to the front. You're out of there. Uh, it turns out that that wasn't what Brian Kelly did. Um, he turned to his right, walked towards those doors, but then took a left. And if you've been in the Google Auditorium, you know there's a very long staircase up to the top of the auditorium where then off doors lead back into the Google offices. Brian Kelly made the decision that that would be a better way to exit Notre Dame's football facility. So he turned right and then he turned left and he walked up the stairs past the entire football program. So the awkward silence that we saw is just a couple seconds continued on for, I don't know, six, 10 seconds. Nobody said anything. Nobody clapped. Nobody made a noise. And then that was the end of Brian Kelly at Notre Dame. Um, no acknowledgement from the Notre Dame football players at all. Which no was eye contact, right? No eye contact. Um, it was quite a juxtaposition to the Reese video that we saw 36 <laughs> hours later where he's talking about winning an effing national championship. And then the players applaud. Like he even has the self-deprecation ability to say, "Like I'm coming back. That's good news for some of you. I'm sorry if some of you are pissed." Yeah. Um, and then the players applaud, and then he he sort of bro hugs them in the front row. And I'm assuming he did everybody. So it, um, man, it is quite a contrast from yesterday morning to tonight as we podcast about how Notre Dame feels about these team meetings that are mandatory in the Gook. We, we we did not uh we did not correct our story um because he did exit right um yes but uh, w- when you called me to tell me that I interpreted it as oh shoot what did we get wrong and how did we get it wrong when we literally watched the video of everything we wrote about um but that it was almost more like we didn't get it right enough yeah it's like we no no, no he it was bad but it was even worse like which I I, I don't believe in piling on but I it, I didn't know it could get worse as far as the way this thing is gone and look. I said this, I think, on this morning's podcast. I don't know. I said it on something. This really is getting those Nick Saban LSU vibes. And again, yeah, Nick Saban our, won a our, title there. It worked out okay for the guy. Our but boss, back- uh, Stu, like, tweeted out, like, you know, the famous story, possibly urban myth, that Nick Saban uh, left MSU for LSU. Plane went back to pick up yeah. assistance. Nobody got on it. And then Ross Dellinger, who is, I think, a, way more plugged into LSU <laughs> Then you or I are reply to it like, yep, that's true. Not an urban. No, that's that's a famous story. Um, and again, worked out fine for the guy. He was able to hire, you know, Will Muschamp and Kirby Smart and Jimbo Fisher and Scott Cochran, but um, don't know if Brian Kelly has that network because he's been his own boss forever and has 
until recently relied on the same couple of guys. And I don't know. It's LSU. They can buy their way out of problems. They damn near did it with Tommy Reese tonight. They, they did and it two months ago with that Orgeron. <laughs> that they did. Um, that's not to say Tommy, uh, it was about money for Tommy, but um, LSU was relentless. Yeah. And Notre Dame. And I mean, I think we, we both feel comfortable saying like Tommy wanted to feel wanted at Notre Dame. It's yes. like we all do in our jobs. Um, you do. You, if another company is offering you a position and they're going to pay, they're going to have what? Almost double more than double your oh, salary. It would have been, like, been more than double at LSU. You have to, you listen to that. Like you, you are a human being. Um, but that doesn't mean you necessarily want to do it, but you got to look out what's best for you, what's best for your family. Um, and so I give, <clears throat> I give Notre Dame a lot of credit for making that a non, maybe not a non-issue, but like less of an issue than it could have been. Um, uh, because there's, there's a world we live in where Notre Dame comes in low and Reese is like, wait a minute, like, do you value me or not? And then leaves that's, but that's not the world that we're living in. So that's, that is really significant to me. And, and like, I, I think a, a, a change over the last year, cause that's, I think Marcus sort of lived in that world about a year ago. I spoke to before everything happened tonight, I spoke to, uh, I'll call him a financial guru who works with a lot of these schools and a lot of their contracts. And um, he said, Matt, you know, what's the deal with that place? Like I, I, they got a lot of money and sometimes they'll really spend it a lot. And other times they just say, we're not going to go there. Like it's never really added up to me why and where they allocate their resources the way they do. And, you know, we got into that a little bit when it comes to facilities. And um, I said, yeah, I don't know. Like they, they paid Brian Van Gorder, well over a million dollars seven years ago when there was no market for Brian Van Gorder, who, yep. as we all know, was not a good coach. Um, and there are other parts where they had, they haven't done that. Um, look, T- Tommy Reese was very close to leaving today. And if Tommy Reese leaves, this coaching search is going on for a while because he was the glue that kept this whole thing together. This mm-hmm. Marcus Freeman is not the head coach right now. If Tommy Reese doesn't opt in. And I am 100% agree. LSU, they're relentless. Again, <clears throat> money talks. It wasn't just about money. It was wanted to be wanted. And like, from my understanding, Notre Dame, you know, maybe it was a bluff. Maybe it wasn't. It, it was 11th hour when Notre Dame finally came to their yes. senses and said, okay, this we're all in. This is it. We, we got you your price. Um, you feel appreciated here. We want you to be a big part of this program. From my understanding, you know, his interviews with Jack Swarbrick were all about how much he loves this place. Um, I was told he, quote, crushed it. I was told he crushed it. I was told Marcus Freeman crushed it. Um, Tommy loved the roster. He really emphasized that he thinks he can help take this thing to another level, and he wants to be here long-term. Um, and that's, you know, very similar to Marcus Freeman's, from my understanding. Um you know, he, he, he credited Brian Kelly for building the infrastructure that's there right now, but he, he definitely stressed that the program is an amazing spot and this is what I'm going to do to take it to the next level. And I think you heard the same, you know, the, the people who are listening in that room absolutely ate it up. Yeah. It's um, there's, there's no doubt about it. I, I think that there's, there's so much 
goodwill among the coaches who have come out and said that they're, they're sticking around tonight. Um, you know, and, and from what I was told, like Marcus was told one of the sort of points of like, all right, here would be a good thing to hit in your interview with Sorbrick was draw a distinction between yourself and Brian Kelly. You don't need to denigrate the guy, but hit how your passion for recruiting and the minutia of recruiting are, are different. There's a distinction there between you and the previous coach. Talk about how your love of the place, even though you've only been here a year, um, you know, for Brian Kelly, I feel like this was a job, you know, and for Marcus Freeman, he was able to present it more as like, this is a calling for me. Like this is a place I, if I had known what I know now, I would have come here as a player. Um, that is one of his great recruiting pitches. And to present that in an interview is very powerful. So the fact that Marcus Freeman killed it in a, a room with Jack Swarbrick is not a surprise at all. But um, I think that what's impressive to me, among other things, is that Freeman has not only been able to sort of like engender this loyalty from the roster, from, from teenagers, but he's able to sort of engender this loyalty and affection from donors and trustees and people who actually make the decisions because those are, those are two very separate groups. It sort of goes back to the Jay-Z quote, like he's able to communicate and move between groups and, and sort of relate to everybody. That is not a skill that everybody has. Um, I think Brian Kelly had it in a more limited fashion I think Marcus Freeman's ability is much more wide ranging among different groups. And that is, that makes him a very powerful force potentially as a head coach here. I remember when he first got uh, to Notre Dame and, you know, we talked, you know, we talked amongst ourselves on this podcast. We talked to people around um, the program and, you know, especially early on, it was, you know, it was the new thing, right? It was a novelty. All right. Here's a, a top five national recruiter who's going to help take Notre Dame to the next level. And everything I heard from his first few months there from people close to him, from people who worked with him in Notre Dame was like, this guy's a real deal. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, yeah. Again, I think, you know, Brian Kelly, perfect example, right? There's, there's a staleness that comes with being in one place for so long and saying the same thing for so long. And to the point where it becomes a drag and you went through the list of every cliche Brian Kelly's ever said here. And it, it just, you know, those press conferences wrote themselves um, usually <laughs> on signing day. And with Marcus, it was always like, are you kidding me? Like, I get to put a Notre Dame polo on my chest, and I now have a key to every high school in the country. Like, don't mess this up. Like, let's not mess this up. I have this incredible opportunity to recruit to a uh, top whatever it is school and a, a, one of the winningest football programs of all time. Like, this is gold. Like, it it, it reminds me of um, – you're a Madman fan, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, when uh, Andre sits with the, was it the raincoat company? He's like, you're happy with 60%. Like you're happy. He's like, I want all of it. Like that, that's the picture I have in so many, you know, words with, of Marcus Freeman when it comes to recruiting, like he wants more and more and more. And, and look, there's a reason Tommy said, let's go win a bleeping national championship in that video. Cause that's exactly what the key figures of this new regime believe. And well, clearly Brian Kelly didn't believe it. Um, he'd be here if he did. Um, yeah. and I'm I mean, not yeah, sure. it's like, I, I'm I, not I, sure he ever really did believe it. If no, I mean, like cool. we don't really spend a whole lot of time in his press conference down at LSU, today, which I but, like, still haven't, like I've saw clips and stuff here and there. It, I, I still haven't. 
it's not cringy start to finish really um outside of if you're a notre dame fan which you know let's be honest most of the listeners to the podcast are like you've heard a lot of the same like laugh track lines before um the mention of alignment over and over and over and over again, I think will sort of catch you off guard or well, we, have your we heard, how many times we heard that this year, this year yeah. in relation to Notre Dame as a compliment. Um, I, I, I asked him about that pretty much every summer I sit down with him one-on-one over the previous three and four years. So it's, um, you know, he didn't really get into like whether you have a better chance to win a national title LSU or at Notre Dame. Um, but it's, uh, I don't know. It's kind of one of those things where to me, I always, and I'm sure that we've talked about this in previous podcasts, but there were people at Notre Dame who were eager to tell you about how hard things are, mm-hmm. how difficult the job is, mm-hmm. um, how much there is to overcome what the limits are. And then you also have people at Notre Dame will tell you about what a freaking great place this is how you have every advantage, how you should have no cap on your aspirations of success at all. By the way, some people who tell you that don't even work at Notre Dame. They've passed through Notre Dame and our other schools who go to the college football playoff. Like there's a coach at another school who goes to the playoff who says like, Pete, there is no reason why Notre Dame should not be killing it in recruiting. Like not just good, but killing it. But you need a head coach and a staff who believes that. And I think Freeman is going to set the tone that, yeah, we can kill it. We should be killing it. We have to be killing it. And that's just not something Brian Kelly ever believed. I mean, it's like I know before the Camping World Bowl a couple of years ago, the most interesting thing he said was like, yeah, I actually mm-hmm. believe we're going to be a top five recruiting operation now. And part of it was like, Wow. Stop in your tracks. It's, yeah. It's a fascinating bit of self-reflection. It's also sort of like, wait a minute. What what changed? Um, and the only thing that changed was like working harder. So that is um there's just a lot of material there to mine moving forward. But I, you know, I texted this to somebody who works at Notre Dame tonight. Um, and I said to, this is just sort of like my opinion on things, but like that Notre Dame is at its best when it's optimistic, forward thinking, and sort of believes it can go above and beyond. And I don't feel like that was necessarily the vibe all the time over the, over the previous 12 years. There was a lot of talk about the limitations, how hard it is. And I don't think you're going to hear that ever or almost never from Freeman. Yeah, I, I could say it any better. Um, it'll be very interesting to see, you know, as we get down the line, and this probably won't happen, you know, depending on where they end up Sunday, this won't happen for at least a month. But what what resources, or I want to stress here too, this will probably be done by the time you listen to this. There's still no contract. There's still no offer sheet. There's still a lot of fine print to be worked out. I mean, Marcus yeah. Freeman will be the next Notre Dame head coach, but um, you know that it's it's ink is not met paper yet, to to put it lightly. But I do want to know uh, once you know, twenty twenty two season begins, 
what what is his vision for all the off-field stuff? What is his vision for the recruiting department? What is he asking for in terms of recruiting resources? Mm-hmm. Um, because again, we know what he can do. Um, we know what Tommy Reese can do. We know what Lance Taylor, who I noticed didn't been made there, uh, 99% sure he'll be coming along with those guys staying at Notre Dame as well. He's a tremendous recruiter in his own right, although there will be a lot of other schools pursuing him too. Um, yeah, by the way, like uh, Irish Illustrated, my old stomping grounds uh, reported tonight that Chris O'Leary, the safeties coach, was staying as well. You know, okay. I think Mike Mickens is like, that's automatic because he's Marcus uh, Freeman's think, guy. Yeah. But that's the entire defensive staff. You got to find a new linebackers coach. I think you and I have an idea of who that could be. Um, oh, yeah. So, Shoot. Yeah. Lizinski. I'm shocked. Exactly. He, I'm still shocked Nick Lizinski is not Clark Lee's linebackers coach at Exactly. Um, um, well, yeah, hire DC. Yeah. No, I mean, I think that's, you know, is it Mickens? Is it Elston? I don't know. Or are they co um, Yeah. I mean, if you're keeping the whole staff, you're not going to get an outside guy to come in. Correct. And, coach those guys um yeah that's a good point but you know you're saving on that now like marcus Freeman, whatever the deal is he's not going to be making what brian kelly made one mm-hmm. and you're not allocating the two million dollar or so figure he was making as a defense coordinator to another position on staff obviously right. tommy reese is making a nice chunk of change now in his you know same oc role but new role within the structure of Notre Dame football in 2022. But I'm very curious to see all the moving parts and the, the, the budget, you know, freedom or restrictions that he gets and how he builds out his off-field staff because um, I, I think I know personally every single person in that recruiting department and really, really like them all personally. They are so damn undermanned compared to every single person Eric should be every single school that they're going up against um, for college football playoff birds. It's comical. So how much latitude is Marcus given to break that department out or restructure it and make it more efficient? Hey, maybe they'll even have full staff meetings, Pete, because you know what? That did not happen under Brian Kelly. And it happens every single day in almost every single college football program. across <laughs> the country. There's a start. Hey. I got to tell you, I don't think I'm going to be writing another Tyson Ford story um, <laughs> where the head coach is like, uh, we don't, we can't get him with you. Um, leave it to the coordinator to come in and save the day. Um, it's, um, yeah, I think it's just going to be a completely different world to live in. It's like, you know, Marcus Freeman grew up in the, you know, the Ohio state world of how you recruit, how hard you recruit, um, you know, worked for fickle who worked for Meyer. He knows what that takes. Um, I'm just completely fascinated by like where all this goes, but I'm with you that. And I think Swarbrick referenced this a little bit and this, you know, I, I take him at his word on this is like, there are some things that need to change and be upgraded and enhanced at Notre Dame. Um, and maybe just from a budgetary point of view, like these staff changes allow you to do it. I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that, but um, I don't know how long we've been talking about private plane travel for coordinators mm-hmm. so they can get around the country. Like let's, it's time to make that happen. Um, we, we will see, but there's just like, I feel like Notre Dame is just like this bubbling 
cauldron of potential right now in a way that I'm not sure that I've felt in quite some time. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, yeah, known commodity was what we would call this program the last five years under Brian Kelly, right? Like, all right, they're going to win the games they should Serial win. winners, they'll, right? Yeah. They'll win, win, every, win every game that you should. Winning is hard. Um, and win every game you should. But and I remember, I think it was another Navy game when I, I said something along the lines of like, this was by no means like um, a tea leave or a Freudian slip or whatever. Like, the, I said something along the lines of, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. I, I, I do wonder if this gets boring for Brian Kelly and the staff when recreating the same message you've given every single week for five years where, cause it's work. It was working. Like right. They beat the teams. Like, they I don't want to like win. cut you off, but like when you say that it triggers in my hand, like, wait a minute, was it boring for everybody else? Cause like, as, as I go through like Reese coming back in the same role, but new responsibilities, Freeman is potentially the head coach. Like, I feel like everything is out there for Notre Dame in a new and exciting way, even though the only guy that has been removed to date is, is the head coach who was really successful and good at a job. Like that's pretty significant. <laughs> yeah. But just like the removal, it, it's, it's weird to me that like removing the all time winningest head coach at Notre Dame would energize the program, but it's, it's hard to miss it tonight and not, not feel some of that. Yeah, I mean, you feel that now. Again, I'll. There's a risk in this hire. I know there's risk in other hires, but it's not like you, know, you. If USC hired Matt Campbell, you can argue that's a risky hire, right? Is this guy going to work West Coast? They yes. hired Lincoln Riley. They're going to be freaking awesome under Lincoln Riley. Like that's undisputed. That's a great hire for like, USC. I'm like, totally with you. So you know, was was there another Lincoln Riley out there for Notre Dame to get? Probably not at this stage of the game. But again, it's Notre Dame. They they should not put limits on who they should be able to hire and get. Um, uh, you know, again, you know, was it Chuck Martin who told you, I think Brian Kelly's the best off-field coach in the country. Yep. Um, that's where like youth shows up, right? Like that's like, do they open with Ohio State next year? Is that the first game? That is the first game. Get run off the field by Ohio State. Yeah. But like, if you get run off the field by Ohio State in the first game of the year, first game of your career as a head coach, how are you going to respond? There's not a human being on earth, including Marcus Freeman, who knows how that will play out. We all have an idea, and Notre Dame obviously has an idea. Otherwise, they wouldn't have entrusted this position to him. Um, but you, you know, you just don't know. It, it was similar to you know on a, a lesser scale. Clark Lee got promoted to DC. All right, he seems like a pretty sharp yep. guy. He's never called a defensive play in his life. Freaking home run hire, clearly. But there was risk in that, and believe me. People who yeah. made that hire were telling me we're very excited, but we're very scared because you just don't know. Um, and so I was when just saying, like that, to, to interject, like Lou Holtz started one and four at Notre Dame. There you go. I mean, lost his first two games, which, you know, it's interesting. I wonder, is there more pressure if you're Lou Holtz there following Jerry Faust and everything's been terrible forever? Or is there more pressure if you're Marcus <clears throat> Freeman and you start 0 and 3 after the guy who won more games than anyone else left? Hey, yeah, it's, debate it's, another day, um, but. it's a good question. It's a good question for like a, a, a Tim Priester type of like, what was the vibe around Notre Dame in <laughs> late September 1986? Well, I remember Mike Elko saying this when he got introduced uh, in 17. Um, you know, do you feel pressure? Like, as far as we know, everyone's on the hot seat this year, right? You just hitch yeah. your wagon to a coach who went four and eight. And he's like, no. He goes, if Brian Van Gorder didn't get fired or my predecessor didn't get fired, and I was here because the guy did such a good job that he got a head coaching job somewhere. 
And Mm -hmm. I I would feel pressure to live up to that expectation. So it goes both ways. Um, But again, you know, these are, we have a lot of time to um, (laughs) untangle all of that. And I'm sure we'll have another show whenever this thing gets finalized, which should hopefully just one tomorrow. If we have one at all. Actually, uh, Brody Miller, our excellent LC writer, asked us to come on tomorrow. So I, I think I'm going to be hopping on that one. And um, so I'll probably do that. And who knows, maybe another Shamrock uh, at this point, more likely than not um, with the way this uh, new cycle has been for Notre Dame. But man, I mean, it's Wednesday. Let's 72 is hours it, ago. Is it? Yeah, for 29 more minutes in your. I'm not. No, it's like, I don't know what day it is. <laughs> I know. But like 72 hours. If you could rewind and you said you go to bed Sunday night, Lincoln Riley to USC. Oh my God. Like nothing will ever top that. Um, I was excited about the, the prospect of Brian Kelly versus Lincoln Riley for the next five years. Hey, they, they open uh 2024 in Vegas, LSU and USC. Oh, all right. Just That'll one year then. Just assuming Brian Kelly hasn't burnt himself out by uh year three <laughs> of LSU. <laughs> um, yeah. It just like, what a freaking week. What a freaking sport. Like, oh, yeah. Literally, if, if I literally 72 hours ago, Sunday night, as you're going to bed, if I said you're you're going to be talking about LSU head coach Brian Kelly, Notre Dame head coach Marcus Freeman, Oklahoma still doesn't know what they're doing yet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's it's just, and you know, <laughs> there are a lot of people around the country right now. Obviously, Iowa State and Cincinnati fans, particularly, but who who are probably thanking Notre Dame for um, not creating another opening. Because yeah. when these big jobs open, there's a big domino effect, and it's not going to be nearly as big now when you promote from within. No doubt, there's no doubt about that. It's uh, that is kind of a fascinating perspective to it because I think that you would have thought like, well, Notre Dame, they could just go out and hire who they wanted and. I think that's that's probably true if they wanted to do that. But in terms of keeping the band together, keeping the roster together, to promote from within, to keep Reese and then also Freeman, um, really takes what has already been built and potentially throws gasoline on it. Uh, Here's a parallel, and they're they're not similar. They're, there are a lot of differences between them, but in some ways. Right, Urban Meyer built Ohio State into this juggernaut. Mm-hmm. Obviously, he was really good before he got there, but like he single-handedly, in my opinion, elevated the Big Ten. Um, yeah, there's not one person who misses him in that building. Believe me, the assistant coaches there are happy to go to bed at a reasonable hour. Um, that defense, you know, especially in year one under Jeff Hafley, played fast and free. They were not scared to death of making a mistake and seeing what happens because that there was just this. I don't know, vibe, pressure, cloud, whatever you want to call it with Urban Meyer in that building. And again, he built it and they had a great young coordinator who was able to take it over. And until four days ago was undefeated his first three years as a big 10 coach and big 10 play. Um, No one's discrediting what Urban Meyer did. Not a soul in Columbus, I think misses him right now. Brian Kelly's not Urban Meyer. Um, but I, I, I think we could see a similar thing play out, um, in South Bend in the years to come. Could be. Yeah. It, uh, it wouldn't stun me at all if Notre Dame, maybe they didn't win more games over the next five years than the previous five. Like that's, that's a really high bar to clear. 
but I think you could see more games like Clemson in November last year for Notre Dame. Um, I think you could see more signing day moments where you feel like Notre Dame is narrowing the gap, if not closing the gap with the elite programs in the country. And that is, that's a different perspective than I think where Notre Dame has been for quite a long time. Here's another one for you while we're trying to um, contextualize how crazy this is. Notre Dame barely gets by Toledo in week two after almost blowing it against Florida state. And I tell you in <laughs> two months, Kyle Hamilton's not going to play more than five plays in the second half of the season. Uh, and Marcus <clears throat> is going to be the, the head coach, maybe in the playoff. Who knows? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, or like, like uh, Jack Cohn gets benched at Virginia tech. Oh, the offense is actually going to get really good. Just so you see. There's a lot. I mean, that's what, when I wrote the Reese story tonight, I, I referenced in there, like Reese essentially built three offenses in two years because he had to build two this season. That's, I mean, that's crazy. Um, but this college football is why we freaking love it. Um, Notre Dame nearly is not nearly as crazy as most other places, but damn it, if for the last week it has been, it's just been off the charts. Can we, because the season is still going on this season, can we take back our declarative and definitive statements that this was Brian Kelly's best coaching job at Notre <laughs> Well, I mean, if the coaching job includes juicing the program with Freeman and Reese at a new level, like, uh, I don't <laughs> know. You, I mean, <laughs> or like, were, was that commentary? What attracted Scott Woodward to him? I don't know. I mean, maybe we got Brian Kelly paid. I don't know. It's <laughs> difficult to say, difficult to say it's been a, this week has been a hell of a year. Hey, I, I get to end it by going to Vegas. So Good I know you. I'm going to have fun. It might mean, it, almost surely will mean I don't get to cover in person the introduction of Brian Kelly's successor, which is just crazy. Like just saying that out loud, like picturing that press conference just at this point in the year, um, that's going to be quite a scene. Um, and I, I, you know, it's, it's going to be cool. Like I, I'm on a personal level. I, I think you're agreement with this. I think anyone who knows these guys agreement, like, you know, we don't root for the guys we cover. Um, I'm genuinely happy right now for Marcus Freeman and Tommy Reese. Yeah. Um, 100%. And again, I got nothing. I also think I speak for almost every human being in America right now. I enjoyed Brian Kelly in small doses. I thought he was professional, got along with him as, as well or as poorly as anyone else did. Um, me and I think every human being, probably outside of his own family, has no feelings toward him whatsoever, good or bad. It was such, you know, I mean, like on a personal level, he was just such a distant human being with everyone he dealt with, obviously with the players, where it's just like, cool. Like, I, you know, I enjoy covering you. See you down the road, maybe at a function right. or something. Um, you know, I liked him, but like, it was cool. Like Tommy and Marcus, I feel really good for right now. Like, this is really exciting for them to have this opportunity. Yeah, there's no doubt. I mean, there's some energy around in football right now, which is rare and unique and I've not sort of felt it from a reporter's point of view in, in some time. And I mean, you're right. Like Marcus and Tommy seem like good guys from what we know about them. Um, you know, and like, again, we're reporters, we're not their friends, we're not their buddies, but like 
you get to know them a little bit on a professional basis and you can know like who is respectful and who has good energy and who's, who's respected by the players who play for them. Um, they hit all those marks. So it's, it's going to be fascinating to sort of see where this goes. And it's, um, you know, in some ways sort of paraphrasing stuff that Brian Kelly said, like about being ready for a new challenge, like maybe, like maybe Notre Dame football was ready for a new challenge. Mm -hmm. Um, and now that it's here, it's impossible to sort of miss the energy that comes with it. So it's going to be, it's man, it's going to it's going to be a next next year was going to be fascinating anyway. Um, you've got Ryan Day, Davo Sweeney, and Lincoln Riley on the schedule, um, and you've got now a first time head coach potentially. So all all of that makes Notre Dame kind of must see TV in a way that I'm not sure that they've been in quite some time, even when they were going 12 and 0. Absolutely. And shoot, the playoffs, not about ratings, even though a lot of people think it is, that's going to be a hell of a show of nerding in it this year. No matter yeah. who they play Saturday. Players. Like I, I know when we recorded Saturday night, we referenced like maybe our next podcast will be Saturday. Um, but like that well, it's, I, w- I went from like, Ooh, next Saturday is going to be interesting to like, I don't care about it at all to like, wow, this is going to be incredibly fascinating to sort of see how it happens with Notre Dame. Next couple of days, we'll have Freeman intro, probably something else. Bowl reaction, whether that's playoff or not. And then all the other good stuff that's going to come out of both those things. Um, yeah. And your stories from Vegas. So well, plenty of good podcast material. Somewhere between going to visit my mother on, on the West Coast um, and going to, I don't know, maybe Circa to watch the conference championship games. <clears throat> I'll try to find some, some shareable material for our dear listeners. I love it. I love it. All right. Well, we'll wrap it up uh, for the, our first ever two podcast day here. On two the, days, on baby. The, uh, They're illegal now on, on the shamrock. Uh, he's Matt Fortuna in Chicago and Pete Sampson in South Bend. We will be back with you next. I feel like our next podcast may be post introduction of the new head coach. Um, Possible. You never know. I mean, this week has been full of surprises, if nothing else. So until then, he's Matt. I'm Pete. Thanks for being with us on the latest episode of The Shamrock. Shamrock.